Think about your life. Every day you wake up and fight to live in freedom and against fear. But Christ has already won the battle for our freedom. We didn't earn it. The battle was won when Jesus died on the cross. We don't deserve it. He gives us grace because of his great love for us. And our freedom was secured when Christ rose from the dead. The grace of God gives us freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom to live the life he calls us to. We aren't saved by trying harder. We aren't saved by trying to be good. Only Jesus can save us and set us free. So enjoy God's gift of grace in your life. Be at peace and live in freedom. Christians in Ethiopia are strong and fearless. They have to be. Because for most of them in Ethiopia who come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, not long after they become Christians, they experience abuse. Some of them are beaten to the edge of their life, and some of them are killed for no other reason. But they have come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And yet, they are fearless. It is part of the reason that God has created this amazing movement of the Holy Spirit over the last several decades in Ethiopia. It is the power and the strength that He is using in and of the lives of those who are Christ followers in that country. We have been hearing about that movement of the Holy Spirit. So a couple of our pastors several years ago went to Ethiopia just to see what was going on. Wanted to see whether God wanted us to be a part of that movement or not. It was Don Waybright and Dave Grummy, and they went to, to go to Ethiopia and meet some of these Christ followers. They were amazed at the people that they met. They got to hear the stories of what was going on. They got to see for themselves these churches that God was raising up in the midst of a very difficult place. Don and Dave came back and shared some of the stories that had been shared with them. And one of those stories is about a man named Tulu, T-U-L-U. Tulu, at the age of 15, Tulu came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. At the very moment that he was saved, he was supernaturally healed of a disease that he had had all the way back to his birth. It is an amazing miracle that happened to him. It was such an amazing miracle. I, I have to believe that part of the reason that God did it in that timing was to sort of authenticate in Tulu's own heart that he had made the right decision. He had been raised in a Muslim home, and now suddenly he's supernaturally healed when he receives Christ. But not just to be a word of encouragement for Tulu, but a word of affirmation to those who knew him. Because Tulu at the age of 15 has now been supernaturally healed, it meant that he could now go to high school. He and his family lived in the southern part of Ethiopia, which is predominantly Muslim, and he knew that by going to high school, more than likely, he would be beaten up from time to time, and it's exactly what happened to him. 
There were several times in which he experienced such a beating that it was almost to death. But he would recover and heal at home and then go right back to school, and he kept telling people about Jesus Christ. He would not stop. His mother said that in four years, Tulu had led over 50 people to Jesus Christ, including his own mother and his own father. Amen. Because he wouldn't stop. When he was 19 years of age, Tulu was caught in a compromising situation in which now there was no one around him to help him, and he was beaten, and this time he died. He died at the age of 19, a martyr of Jesus Christ. The man who beat him and killed him was named Mohammed Ahmed, A-H-M-E-D. And he was caught, tried, and he was put in prison for murder. Right after he went to prison, two Christian pastors went to visit him. Not to express anger or revenge, but to express the love of Jesus Christ. And they shared Jesus with Muhammad. He rejected Christ, but every so often, every few months, they would go back and they would share with Muhammad Ahmed about Jesus Christ and his love for him. And every time he would reject Christ, but they would keep going back. Over the course of the next three years, they went every so often, every few months, and three years later, on March the 5th, 2007, Muhammad Ahmed accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and was baptized into Christ. This man, who was a persecutor, now became persecuted for the cause of Jesus Christ. It is exactly, it is exactly the story of what happens to the writer of Galatians, the Apostle Paul. We've begun a new series in the book of Galatians entitled, How to Live in Freedom. And Paul, the writer of this book, is going to teach us how to live such a life. I've never studied the book. I've never heard a, a series on the book of Galatians. I've certainly never taught one. But we are going to take a great journey as we walk through this amazing book together, the book of of Galatians. The book of Galatians, Galatians was either the first book or the second book written in the New Testament. The other of the books would have been the book of James. Either one, one of the other, was the first or second book written in the New Testament, so say many scholars today. And this morning, I want us to begin going through now the second message in this book, starting in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 11. So listen to what he says. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I in 
intensely, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Have you ever been watching a movie and the movie begins so differently? The movie actually begins at the end. It tells you what's going to happen at the end of the movie, and for about five minutes, you see the end, and then there is a graphic that appears and says, five years before, and now you cut to the five years before, and you start walking up that whole storyline about getting to the end. It's a unique way to tell a story, and it's exactly how Paul has chosen to tell his own story. He actually begins at the end in verses 11 and 12, and then he starts at the beginning in verse 13. And Paul tells his story. We're going to look at the story of Paul today, and when we get to the end of his story, we're going to look at your story. Paul's story begins with what Paul was like before he was saved. So listen to how he describes it. Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father's. But God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. Now, Paul's name was actually Saul, not Paul. S-A-U-L, not P-A-U-L. Saul is the Hebrew name, and Saul was a Jew. In fact, Saul was a first century Jewish Pharisee. He was a man that was amazingly bright, incredibly gifted, and a very passionate man in his zeal for God. He was full of zeal for God and hatred for those who were called Christians in the beginning of the Christian church. And he thought by hating these Christians, he was somehow pleasing God. Hatred for anybody and bigotry toward anybody is never pleasing to God. Did you know that there are some Christians today who are abusive toward Jewish people today? And they think somehow when they are that they are pleasing God. But there is never any expression of hatred or bigotry that is ever pleasing God. It is only pleasing Satan and not God. So here is Paul, Saul, thinking he's pleasing God as he goes after these Christians. He tells his own story. In Acts 22, verse 4, he says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Acts 26, verse 11, many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme, meaning he tortured them. 
in my obsession against them. I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. We discover in the story of Paul that one of those foreign cities that he went to was a place called Damascus, Syria. 200 miles away from Jerusalem. He went to the high priest. He got special orders. And he now had chariots and soldiers. And he loaded them all up. And off to Damascus he went. For only one reason. He had heard there are Christians in Damascus. And now we're going to arrest them, put them in chains, and drag them all the way back to Jerusalem. And notice the story in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. As he neared, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. There's three key things that I want you to notice in this passage. And the first key idea is this. When someone persecutes a Christ follower, they are actually persecuting Jesus. Do you hear what Jesus says? Saul, why are you persecuting me? (laughs) Well, Jesus is in heaven. There's no way Saul could persecute Jesus in heaven, but he's persecuting Christ's followers, and Jesus takes that very personally. When someone comes after a person who is a follower of Christ, they are coming after Jesus. That's how he views it. Can I tell you this? We better be careful as Christ followers how we treat other Christ followers. There are some Christ followers that are mean to other Christ followers. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus takes this personally. There's a second thing that I want you to notice in the passage, and it's simply this. If you know Jesus as your Savior, the only reason you do is because Christ is pursuing or has pursued you. Here is Jesus pursuing Saul. You and I came to know Jesus Christ as Savior because the Holy Spirit of God began to touch our heart, began to show us our need for God, and drew us to God. He pursued us. I know people say, you know what? I'm really pursuing God. I'm wanting to know more about God. But here's the truth. We soon discover that it wasn't us pursuing God. It was God pursuing us all along. It was God coming for us, coming after us. There is no one more persistent in pursuing an unbeliever to save him or her than is the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, if you have a want to in your heart for Jesus Christ, if you have a want to in your heart to know God, That didn't come from you. That came from the pursuit of God in you to bring you to himself. There's a third thing that I notice in the passage, and it's this. If there was anyone not savable, it was Saul. Here he is a murderer. Here he is an abuser of other people. Here he is a guy that beats them up and throws them in prison If there was anyone not savable, it's Saul. 
But here is Jesus pursuing Saul to save him. No matter who you are or what you've done, I want you to know God loves you. And God wants you to become his child. There is no such thing as an unsavable person. And aren't you glad? Because none of us could be saved if that were the case. This is Saul's story that becomes Paul. This is the beginning of Paul's story, who he was before he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. But now, how does Paul get saved? Well, notice what he does, what he says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. The first thing I want you to notice, that word called, this is why I ask you to fill it out as you fill in these blanks, the word called. It actually means to call out. And God is calling Saul out to be his child. God is calling Saul out to forgive him and to save him and to change his life from the inside out. This man who had been so abusive God is calling him out and saying, I want you to know me. Why would God do it? It's called the grace of God. See how he puts it? He called me out by his grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Can you, can you finish out the song with me? I once was lost. And now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This is the grace of Almighty God. And if there is a want to in your heart, if there is a desire in your heart to know the God who saved you, it is God that put that desire in you. And it is God that is calling you to come and know Him and to be forgiven of your sins and to become a child of Almighty God. So how does a person do that? How does a person come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior? Well, Paul, in another one of his books, lays it out for us. In the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, and listen how he says it. That if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So what does this mean? Go to that word that you filled in, Lord. If you come to a place to say, Jesus, you are now my Lord. The word Lord means boss. It means the person in control, the person in charge. And we've been the one in control of our life. And look at the mess we've made out of it. We've been the one making the decisions. We've been the one who have been going the wrong direction. And we have come to the end of that. And we know we've made so many wrong decisions in our life. And if we will come to the place to say, Jesus, if you'll take me, 
I want you to be the boss of my life. I want you to be my Lord, the one in charge. I take myself off the throne of my heart, and I put you on the throne of my heart, and now, oh, Jesus, would you be the boss of my life? You will confess with your mouth, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. And if you will believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He is insane, believe with your mind. Oh, of course. Uh, are you kidding? Of course, I believe that the event of the resurrection of Jesus happened 2,000 years ago. Well, of course I believe that. No, that's not enough. It's not enough to believe in your mind of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to believe in your heart. We understand that is so different. It means that what is up here has traveled 18 inches to what is here. It means that it has so changed who you are that I am willing to commit myself. Oh, it is not enough to believe in the resurrection. I've got to believe to the point that I commit myself. God, here is my life. It isn't much, God, but I commit my heart to Jesus Christ. And here is what Paul says, if you'll be willing to let Jesus become the boss of your life and you will be willing to commit your heart by faith to Jesus Christ, you'll be born again. You are born again. You are saved. And that's how Paul became a Christian. Have you ever done this? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ in your heart? I'm not asking you, are you a member of the church? And I'm not asking if you've been baptized. I'm asking, have you been willing to say to Jesus Christ, you're in charge. I give up the control of my life, and by faith, I commit my heart to Jesus Christ. That is how a person is born again. There's a third part of Paul's story. It is, what was I like before I came to know Christ? How did I get saved? And third, what happened after Christ saved Paul? Well, look at how he describes it in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that, is, that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, rather... I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when did he receive it by revelation of Jesus Christ? Galatians chapter 1, verse 16. I didn't consult any man, verse 17. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia. Paul is saying that right after I came to know Christ as Savior, I left to Damascus, and I went to Arabia. It took seeing this map that I want to show you that opened my eyes to the whole idea of Arabia. Somehow in my mind, I thought it wasn't very far, but look how far it is. And in fact, we don't know where in Arabia that he went. We don't know how deeply he went into modern-day Jordan today, but he went into this region and he stayed at least two years. Not three, but at least two. And during this period of time, he is personally taught by the resurrected Jesus. How did all this happen? I don't know. 
All I know is that he's taught personally by the resurrected Jesus Christ. He gets away from everyone. And this man, this Jewish Pharisee that knows the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, frontwards and backwards, suddenly Jesus, as he's teaching him, begins to bring all these verses all over the Jewish Bible. He begins to bring them together, and suddenly Paul begins to realize the Messiah, all these promises, all these prophecies about the Messiah, Jesus fulfilled every single one. It was Jesus all along. And by the time he is now finished, he comes back up to Damascus. And when he arrives back into Mas- to Damascus, the book of Acts says he goes from one synagogue to another synagogue to another synagogue, arguing with those that are there, de- debating them, showing them in the Jewish Bible, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of every one of the promises. And one after another after another. And finally, they get so tired of him, they decide they're going to kill Saul. And they would have killed him had it not been for the Christians who got him out of Damascus and said, leave. From the time Saul came to know Christ as Savior, went down to Arabia, taught by the resurrected Christ, back to Damascus, all of that was three years. So listen what he says. But I immediately went into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. Wouldn't you have loved to be involved in that 15 days of meeting Peter? Then I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. James is the half-brother of Jesus. They're the brothers because they have the same mother, Mary. But James's father was Joseph, and Jesus's father is God. So they're half-brothers. After the resurrection of Christ, James comes to know Jesus as his Savior and becomes one of the great leaders in the church. And Jude becomes, who's also a half-brother of Christ, comes to know Christ as Savior. And so here is Paul, and he is with James, the brother of Jesus. And verse 20, I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. And later I went to Syria and Cilicia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. There's the story of Paul. Who was Paul before he came to know Christ? How did he come to know Christ? What happened in his life after he came to know Christ? There's a story. Do you know why Paul is telling us the story? He has some purpose with those churches in Galatia we talked about last week. But the Holy Spirit had the purpose of you and I today hearing this story. Because there's some in this room, and God's calling you out, and God is saying to you, I want to know you, and I want you to know me, and I want you to be forgiven and cleansed, and I want you to become my child. And he wanted you to hear this story. That is Paul's story, but you've got a story too.
So what's your story? You have a story. If you've come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, you have a story that other people need to hear. Maybe it is a member of your family. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it is someone that you work with or you go to school with. But there is someone in your life that needs to hear your story. I know that Satan has said to us today, nobody's interested in God anymore, but that is absolutely false. Sociologists of religion tell us that there is more of a spiritual hunger today than there has ever been in recorded history since they've been recording this in America. People want to know your story. People at your job, people in your neighborhood. Did you know that nine out of ten people in America say they believe in God? Did you know that 80% say that they believed in life after death? And 76% of people in America say they believe that the Bible is the Word of God. There is a spiritual hunger and there are people that they just want to know real Christians. They're so sick and tired of religion, but they just want to know somebody that's real. They want to know your story. So how do you put your story together? How do you organize this? Well, first of all, you've got to tell them about who you were before you came to know Jesus as your Savior. I don't have a drugs-to-Jesus story. I came to know Christ as my Savior just before I turned six years old. I was born and raised in a pastor's home, and I had heard the gospel of Christ from the time I was little, and so I knew by the time I was five years old that I was a sinner, and I needed Jesus. My parents told me the story. I don't remember it, but they shared it with me. They said that when I was five years old, I was playing checkers with the son of the janitor of the church that my dad was the pastor of. And the son of the janitor was 22 years old. His name was Jesse, and he and I were playing checkers together. And while we were playing checkers, I asked Jesse, have you ever accepted Jesus as your Savior? And Jesse said, no, I don't think I have. And I said to Jesse, well, I guess we're both going to hell then. <laughs> My parents told me afterwards, Mark, never ever say that again to anybody. <sighs> but I was just being honest. I knew I was a sinner. Obviously, he was too. But my sisters also knew I was a sinner. My two older sisters, a few weeks after that event took place, offered me their allowance. We got an allowance of a quarter every week. We got a quarter every week as an allowance. And on this particular week, my two older sisters offered me their quarters if I would run away from home. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I wasn't the only sinner. They were sinners too, if you ask me. Well, at five years of age, 
I knew even then, don't leave 50 cents on the table. Take it. I took the 50 cents. I said, I'm gone. And I hid in the house, and they found me. And I had to give the two quarters back. I knew I was a sinner. And a few months later, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that's my story. What's your story? Maybe it was as a kid that you accepted Christ as your Savior. Or maybe it was a teenager and you came to know Christ as your Savior. Or maybe you've come to know Christ as your Savior as an adult, maybe just recently. Somebody shared Christ with you and you've accepted Christ as your Savior and here you are. You know your story. Spend a few minutes this afternoon and in the space that I've given you there, You've got a space for two or three sentences that it's all it takes. Two or three sentences. Write out your story, your story of how you were, who you were before you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Then, how did you come to know Christ in your heart? I, I don't mean, okay, I was at VBS and I got saved, or I walked forward at some church, or I went to the next step center. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you got to actually, in this part, share how a person comes to give their heart to Christ. Maybe it's Romans 10, 9, and 10 that I just went through with you, and maybe you just read that to the person you're telling your story to. I came to know Christ, and now read these two verses. Here's how I came to know Christ, and let me explain it. Or maybe you use one of these. It is called a gospel tract. Did you know when I was in high school, I led so many kids to Christ and in college led so many kids to Christ and I used a gospel tract to do it because it was so easy to do. And so what you do is just read through it. And we've got all of these gospel tracts. It just so happens we've run out now of all the tracks that we had set out, and so we'll have more next Sunday. So where do you find these gospel tracks? You just go to those wooden cubes that are out there in the commons, you'll see them, or down Main Street, and they've got all this material around them, and we always have gospel tracks just like these. We've been wiped out of them today, but we'll have them more next Sunday, and they'll be sitting out there Take a gospel track, and you can read through it with the person. It's so easy to do, and then give it to them. i got to tell you, I led so many people to Christ over my life through using a gospel track. Maybe you've been through the gospel conversation workshop that we go through. 1,700 people have now been through that, and maybe you've learned how to use the three circles, and if you haven't, you can do that. You can learn in just a few weeks when the next one comes. Learn how to share with someone else how do you come to know Jesus as your Savior. Now, the third thing is this. What happened after Christ saved you? Just tell your story of how God has been changing you and remaking you and forgiving you and has set you on the course that you are now on. Here is the big takeaway I want you to grab hold of. Never say never about anyone. Keep praying, keep sharing, keep loving, because no matter how unsavable they may appear to be, no one is unsavable. 
I want to tell you the story that I thought was so cool. There was a guy, there is a guy named Penn Gillette who is an atheist. He still is an atheist today. He is also an actor and a television personality. And a guy who knew Penn Gillette was an atheist gave him a Bible and shared Christ with him. And you might think he was offended that someone did that. No, he wasn't. And in fact, he even told the story of it. And I want you to hear this audio clip from Jen Paulette from, from Penn Gillette. I want you to hear this audio of him telling what happened when he got witness to. Listen to this. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Can you believe that? What I'm saying to you is, this is not as big of a turnoff to others, even an atheist, as maybe Satan has led us to believe. You have a story, and you know people that need him. Someone that you work with, some friend, some family member, somebody you work with, somebody you live by, someone you go to school with. Who are you going to tell your story to? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together today, of being able to read, to hear Paul's story, and to recognize we have a story too. God, I thank you for how he told his story. It's the great model of how we are to tell ours. And Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts. You would bring names to our heart of someone that needs to hear our story of what you've done for us and what you're doing for us and how you saved us. Oh God, I pray for every person in this room right now that has never received Jesus Christ as Savior, but there is a want to in their heart. God, it's you at work. And Father, I pray this morning, right now, that there would be many in this room that would make the decision, I want Jesus in my heart. I pray, Father, for those that are here that know Christ, that are guests of our church, visiting our church today, and there's a sense in their heart, this place feels like home, and want to join this church today. Oh, God, move in their heart that this would be that day that they would become a part of Sugar Creek. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.